All the way back in January 2014, Tom Von Lawler welcomed me into his home for episode 17 of An Irishman Abroad. It's fair to say a lot has happened since, from the rip-roaring success of Howie the Rookie to becoming one of the most evil characters in the history of the Marvel Universe. Tom has continued to work with the same intensity and commitment that characterised his show-stopping performance as Nidge in Love Hate. His new film, Rialto, is no exception. Written by another friend of the show, the brilliant Mark O'Halloran, Rialto is unlike anything I've ever seen and grabs you by the back of the head from scene one. I don't want to say too much here, but it tells the story of a man in crisis, Colm, and he is grieving. His father has just passed and their relationship is ambiguous and dark and this character seems to be making many of the same mistakes with his own son. I won't say any more. All I will say is it premiered to rave reviews at the Venice Film Festival. Also stars Michael Smiley, Monica Dolan, Aileen Walsh and the superb Tom Glynn Carney who you will know from movies like Dunkirk and The King but his Dublin accent it's nearly worth going to see this film just to see how perfect he nails this accent. It's just superb and it's directed by everyone's favourite Glaswegian director, Paul Mackie Burns, and will be on release from October 2nd. If you'd like to hear another half an hour of this chat with Tom, including some real inside cinema takes on his life on set of The Avengers, or if you'd like to go back and hear that first episode with Tom, that uh, that's easy. Just pop over and sign up for Premium Irishman Abroad on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. You'll also get bonus extra weekly episodes, including Marion McKeown, our Irishman in America series, all about US politics and the lead up to this presidential election. One other item of big news before we get into this is that the Irishman Abroad Online Comedy Club is back at 9pm on October 1st with guests Amy Huberman, Jack Wise, Paul Howard, aka Ross O'Carroll Kelly, and music from Loa. That is going to be live October 1st at 9pm thanks to Lock-In Events and the great people at Conference Services. Our chosen charity partner, as always, is Jigsaw.ie, doing incredible work for thousands of Irish young people across communities back home, equipping them with the mental health skills they'll need to survive in life, not just a pandemic. Maybe they can help you, or maybe through a small donation each month, you can help them. But either way, check them out this week. Jigsaw.ie, the chosen charity partner of an Irishman abroad. That's the small talk. Now let's get down to business. Now, your programme. What's the big idea? Well, they've grown to know the Irish much better. We've now got to know how largely their mind works. I moved over here and immediately... I had to up my game. I could not have done the job I, I did for quite a number of years in Ireland. I had to go and earn my living in England. I think a lot of it's in my hair. I think there's a lot of Ireland in here. I had an Irish upbringing. 20 years after an Irishman couldn't get a fucking job, we had the presidency. It was some heightened awareness of how hard my tribe had had it in London. No blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Never has a nation so small inspired so much in another. So you could say there's always been 
a little green behind the red, white, and blue. Our family is very Irish, you know. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we have a very special announcement to make at this stage. Would you welcome, please, the wonderful Charlie Thrigo! Tom Von Lawler, it's fantastic to have you back on Irishman Abroad. It, it does feel like another lifetime when we uh, went for that walk yes. and had that chat. Yes. This movie, let's start there, mm-hmm. Rialto. It's obviously made a long time ago. Did it hurt not to have it out when it needed to be out or out when they planned to put it out, given how long it's been in the making? It hasn't. There, like, there are some films that have really that have have had a really tough time where they just launched before the lockdown and kind of had very short life because it was their release was interrupted. But I suppose you just whatever you do, and especially I think with independent films, you just make them and work hard and then hope they have a journey and a voice and a presence somewhere in the universe. Mm. So I think, you know, because it's smaller scale, you, you just have to, you just have to be committed and then, and everything else beyond that's out of your control. So I don't, I don't regret, you know, what's happened has happened and, and there are bigger things going on. So, so I'm philosophical about it. And once it gets out and is seen, that that's all that matters to me. Really. Yeah. Like, honestly, I, couldn't describe the film when I went to describe it to my wife. It it really grabs you by the throat and it it stays with you. What was your journey with this story and how uh, you first came upon it in its play form? I think it was 2011 maybe 2011 it was on in the theatre festival in Dublin and I was I was in the Abbey with a show it was a co-production with the National Theatre in London. And I was around at the time it was on, and I remember hearing this buzz around this two-hander about this man and his relationship with this uh, rent boy in this hotel room. And that it was this amazing actor's piece, and I, it sounded incredible. And I was like, wow, that, that, that sounds amazing. I couldn't get to see it because we were on stage. But then, that was 2011, and then around 2017, I'd made a film with... Peter Mackey Burns hit his first feature mm-hmm. and he I bumped into him at a film festival and he said he was doing the new Mark O'Halloran film based on trade and I, and I was like because it was Mark and because it was Peter I was happy to do like a day on it, a couple of scenes because they're you know Mark is such a brilliant writer and mm. I'd done one of his films before and, and I'd loved working with Peter so I was I was on board just to do a couple of scenes or a couple of days so then when they said it was for the lead and, and they sent me the script, I just was kind of, I, I, I read it in one sitting and I couldn't leave. I couldn't, I couldn't stop reading it. And I, I, I just, it's, it's just one of those scripts that you go, I have to do this because as an actor, it's just a great actor's piece. And, mm-hmm. and, and it's it's just being in scenes with other actors and and i i when we were filming it, it felt like kind of being back at drama school because you're being stretched and tested all day every day and you kind of fall in the door at the end of the day just totally spent and and but a great sense of achievement or being used or or just testing yourself as an actor and and, and that's all you that's 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 what you want, I think, as yeah. an artist. Colin McCann had a chat with me uh, the other day and he loves that yeah. quote. 
the only things worth doing are the things that might break your heart. And the quote, (laughs) (laughs) we should be forever jumping off cliffs, developing our wings on the way down. That sounds sounds pretty much like this experience. You go into it, right? And for those of us that aren't actors, what do you do once you've settled on? Right. We we got this. We're I'm going to do this. And this is this vision in my mind is this. Is it a notebook comes out or is it you head down to the docks and find the kind of vibe of the area? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. You know, different actors have different approaches. Some do lots of research. Others are 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 more focused on, I suppose, working with the script and and being more on the day. Which and and people have different approaches that work equally effectively. I was taught to be on towards the research end, and 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 that thing of actors being detectives, kind of seeking it, seeking it the keys to the character, and 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 so I. Yes, the notebook comes out and, and it's almost quite academic work to start with in terms of analyzing the script and trying to figure out who this man is. And then the world around him, the Dublin he lives in, um, his influences politically, socially, culturally, if, the, if, if there are any or if you choose that he does in his history. And also working with Peter and Mark, working through the text about um, Mark's influence in writing it and his motivation in writing it and trying to come to an understanding of this man's driving force and uh, what he wants in his life for his life mm. and it's lots of homework to be able to let that go on the day and then know that the work is bolstered by the research you do i think and then when you know you're with a, a director who's gonna go the full nine yards with you, you you just jump on board and you you just commit everything you can to each day. So Colm is absolutely tortured. Mm. He's riddled and, you know, there's a washing machine in his head at all all times. Yeah, that's a good. I mean, that's that can be portrayed on screen very hamily, right? You can really see people reach for that but the underreach and the subtlety of this movie is to me it's triumph that less is more idea absolutely Uh, absolutely and i think you know he's invisible he feels invisible in his life and he hates himself and that that self-hatred the self-loathing runs very 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 deep and i think he that low-key approach to the film making and to the across the board the kind of performances as you say, I think is it's is is one of its greatest merits. It's not it's unsentimental. It's not flashy or showy. It's very truthful. And I think we worked every day for that uh, simple truth. Anything that seemed kind of big or chewy or uh, you know slightly outlandish was was kind of it, it. It never felt right in the tone of the dynamic that Peter was setting on set or in the script. So you knew straight away when something wasn't working, mm. if if it was overwrought or overshot. And, and and Peter is brilliant, the director, kind of calling you on it. So we'd do a take and I, 
we do a couple of takes and I think I'll be getting closer to it in some of the bigger scenes. You, think, I'm, you know, I'm getting there. And I think, okay, I've got, I've got this, this, and this in that scene. And he goes, yeah, you got those, but you're, it's missing this, 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 and this. <laughs> and it's kind of like wringing you dry in every scene and kind of, put, he was kind of pushing and pushing and dragging and expanding and stretching and tearing at, at me to go in different directions. And, and that's what you want as an actor. You want, you don't want to be falling back on obvious choices or mannerisms or choices you've made before or, you know, your preconceived notion of what a scene is. You want a director to go, look, try it this way, try it that way. It needs this, it needs that. You're missing this. Let's try that. And, and because, you know, you don't want a polite, well, I don't want a polite director to just kind of nod and go, okay, let's move on. You want someone to call bullshit on you and say, look, it needs to be, if this is going to work, it needs to be this and you need to get there. I don't care how you get there, but you got to get there. And, and, and then fear and going, you go, okay, let's move on. We've, and then, and then kind of second guessing yourself going, are you sure we've got that? And he goes, look, I wouldn't move on if we didn't have what we need. <laughs> and then just having a director, who you know, is going to call bullshit on you is really actually the first few days is quite abrasive to your ego. You're a bit like, <laughs> you know, you're a bit like, but, but actually what, once you give over your ego and, and let leave your ego alone and allow yourself to be, to be molded and shaped by the character and the director who's our, who's the architect of the, of the day and of the, the landscape, then you feel like you're contributing to a writer's vision and a director's vision and your own, what you can bring to it. So it's, it's a, on a film like that, you feel like you're part of something magical. And and look, I, I Lars von Trier said a great film, for him, he felt like a great film was like having a stone in your shoe. And I think that, that thing of challenging an audience is really, really exciting. And, and I, I read a review for it from when we were in Venice in the film festival there and called it a grubby film. And actually... I really thought I took that as a real compliment because I felt grubby doing it. And I think grubby because he's down there in the mud and the shit of living mm. and all of the complexity and the, the heartache of being alive in a certain way, in a very intense way is what we were reaching. Wow. For. And I felt like, yeah, I felt we got nearly there. Yeah. I mean, you did. Yeah. I mean, it, you really yeah. did. It's a triumph of everything that you've just described there. Yeah. Uh, and also that it uh, life doesn't look like you say the the more signposted I'm yeah. going through this, particularly Irish life. I mean, yeah. there's so much of this that's so beautifully observed uh, yeah. in the sense of how little gets said, particularly yeah. between the father and son relationship, which is obviously central to Callum's own predicament and without spoiling anything for anyone, why he feels invisible in his own home. How yeah. many conversations did you have with Mark and Peter about the stuff that we never learn, the stuff that isn't said? Have you guys yeah. walked through in your minds what the actual backstory that the viewer will never learn is? Yeah. Yeah, because Peter is really forensic and really thorough in his research. So he does huge amounts. He does huge amounts of research and biography for each character, which you can access, or he can. He would drop you bits and pieces of what he thought, but also incorporating what what you would what what you might bring. But but also working with Mark and Mark talking about 
this the biggest shadow in in the film who you don't see is the fa- is his Colin's father who's mm. this huge kind of presence in Colin's life and so dealing with the grief of that dead man in his life that he's kind of dragging around with him and now is kind of unmoored from but because he's always been in relation to his father and now the father is gone he's released from that but he doesn't know who he is because he he was he always identified himself in relation to this man who was actually this incredibly toxic presence in his life and so now he's trying to figure out his job is in jeopardy this man is dead who has defined his life and he's like he's like who, who am i and 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 that's true i suppose we're, we're all trying to figure out who we are i mean that's part of the ongoing test of life isn't it? always trying to figure out who we are and and i think so so mark was huge on that on the father the father's kind of shadow in his life and i mm. it's funny you say about irish life like we shot all all the family scenes together and the, the hardest scenes in the film are actually the domestic scenes the family scenes because when he's with the young man as he says when he's with him he said like there's no lies between us he's he feels like he can you know in selfishly in, in many respects he can unburden himself onto this young man and it becomes although he's paying him there's also a there is a he's using him and he in many ways to unburden himself on the kids also going you know is listening but at the same time he's also going I've, I've got my own shit going on i've got mm-hmm. my own worries and, I, and you're dumping the stuff on me but i think he at the repression of domestic behind the scenes the closed doors in families where alcoholism and addiction is is this terrible terrible legacy is just so corrosive and so it's so damaging and and houses that live in silence are in addiction and silence around alcoholism and abuse it just the weight of that is so so it's so damaging and 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 so to be able to film all those scenes back to back in this house that was brilliantly designed to achieve a sense of weight and lit as as adam did that the the cinematographer with this great sense of weight it felt those were the hardest scenes by far the scenes Mm. where the family where the where the father treats kind of unwittingly can also treat his his wife and his children with an unwitting unwittingly with not obvious disdain but but not knowing who he is trying to figure out who he is in relation to them and 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 the passing on of the legacy from his father to him he's now passing on to his son yeah the legacy uh, is the thing right because yeah. so much of it is he doesn't have a model exactly for how to to be with a son because exactly. of his own his own situation yeah um, he, he doesn't have the emotional language he has no emotional ability to 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 say even though he's saying sorry all the time there's so much of him saying sorry he can't say that to his own son and he can't say that he can't forgive himself he can't forgive his father it's the handing on of those of those wounds mm-hmm. and he you know it's 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 deeply sad but i think you know for all this the film's darkness I, I, without giving too much away, it does end on a kind of, I think, a hopeful kind of coda, and an up note at the very, you know, there there is some degree in all, the, in all the gloom. There is there is a, a, a redemptive element to the film that that is just kind of a at the very end a kind of a coda. But I I think it's a positive message too. Yeah, um, when we last spoke, yeah. we talked about having to drive around after being niche. 
<laughs> and trying to kind of get Nidge out of your system a little bit before yeah. you could go and be with your family. I, yeah. I, I can only imagine it was the same with Colin because, you know, in the role you have, just as with Nidge, a very distinct anthropology or movement mm. and yeah. the, the decisions you made in how he holds himself. I'd imagine that like you'd come home with a pain in your shoulders from exactly how tight and beaten he is. Yeah, he, he is beaten and he's the, the design, the costume was designed with a lot of layers, you know, just piling on layers of jackets and jumpers because he is this he's hidden and but but it's funny you know i i had the first it was a five-week shoot and the first the end of the first two the end of the second week we filmed a lot down around the boardwalk and i found it a really really tough day and it's funny mark later a few months after we shot we were emailing he said look i did tell you this wouldn't be easy and i think i kind of subconsciously knew it would be hard but kind of shove that away because you think if I take on board too much how hard it might be or how kind of head melting it might be I'm not going to be able to do it but I did have a kind of <laughs> a second weekend had a bit of a wobble where I went home and I thought mm, maybe I should call my agent to try and get out of this <laughs> so I was like is it any too late for them to recap how, but, how, let, but actually, hold on, the light- hold on. The, so when you say it was hard that that was a wobble like yeah in what sense? Like, what well, what are we well, talking about here? Well, look, here, I'll say one thing. Actors talking about around a role and the the cost of it can sometimes be about self-mythologizing themselves mm. in a part. So you have to be very careful thing, as an actor talking about the cost of a part or what it took. You, I think you have to be sensitive about that, talking about it, just because it can... Actors, brilliant actors, can sometimes self-mythologize and it becomes a performance around performance. Having said that, there are parts that can leave a residue and that and that when you come home, it can be hard. And and I think I, I think with this part, I got through the first two weeks and I realized I was gonna have to use the the weekends as kind of islands to get to to kind of just kind of calm down slightly. But on the Friday, on the second week, I was real. I came home and I, I was trying to kind of just relax a bit, and I just started to kind of have this. I had about an hour and a half of kind of going, like my mental health. I don't know if I'm going to be able to live in this for the next few weeks and do wow. the job that's required, because you don't want to let people down. Blah, blah, blah. But actually, the lifesaver was my son turning up to stay with me for two weeks, <laughs> and I realised that was such my nine-year-old boy, Freddie. He came to stay with me, and that was the lifesaver because I could come home and have a shower and come down, and he'd just be like, what do you do? Why are you eating biscuits? Why are you eating this? What are you doing? What's this? Show me what he did for the day. And then you just go breathe, and you relax, and you let it go. And so he is this grace. You know what it's like. You know yeah. your kids, what they you and 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 so he was kind of my saving grace in it actually and, 100%. and, and that was a joy you know yeah joy i mean it's like an, so. an anchor uh totally to who tom voller von lawler is day yeah. to day and yeah. on the as at the other end of this spectrum of fatherhood i mean yeah your connection with your son just like yeah. your own connection that we talked about with your father is strong yeah. and tight whereas yes. 
poor Colin is just in the worst possible fatherhood position. Yeah. Tom yeah. as Jay, Tom Glyn Carney, who people yeah. will know from things yeah. like Dunkirk, yeah. is an, a monster in this million. Absolutely. <laughs> it's amazing. It is like it's some sort of metamorphosis transformation. It's incredible. Like, His accent is astonishing. <laughs> it is kind of funny, right? There must well, be. Well, like literally the whole, yeah. the whole shoot, there was one, there was only one word I heard. There was literally only one word that didn't sound like a Dublin. And then I, and he, and someone said it to me and I said, well, like, it's not my place. And then he's, he said, do you think this word's funny? I said, well, look, I think it might sound like this. And it was literally only one word in five weeks that I, wow. that, that, that was out. It was amazing. Yeah, it was, he was amazing. Beautiful man. Yeah, that, that must that must also help, right? I've talked to a bunch of actors about how mm. when you, you know, you arrive on set at Game of Thrones, yeah. you're not in the mood. When you put on yeah. the gear, you're in the mood for Game of Thrones. But yeah. when you're standing opposite Tom, and there's like, he's there's no Tom visible. There's yeah. only Jay in this yeah, room. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah, must take you there as well. Oh, astonishing! Like properly astonishing. And also, you know, they the, the color palette they used with him, the mm. color of his hair, the color of his t-shirt, and and he kind of his first arrival into the column's office, where he kind of blows into the office, and he's just, it's just this amazing man, young, young kind of light that kind of blows, explodes into column's life that just kind of dazzles him and and kind of just you know shocks him out of his, his stupor mm. and, I, and i think to, uh, tom glen carney's ability to do that every day was was astonishing and and just and also monica monica dolan who plays claire oh amazing it's just astonishing like you go just again you, you realize the importance of casting and you realize the importance of actor and, and how lucky you are if you're playing a central part that the actors who surround you, you you don't have to do any work. They're they're propping you up as you know what I mean? They're they're just you just have to be in a scene and, and they they're just kind of giving you this stuff and you're just having to react to it. There's nothing the work is 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 already there. And so and and Scott Graham, my son and Sophie Joe Watson, my daughter in the show, they were they, you know, just this amazing brilliantly cast and, and and, and and Peter all the time just pushing us and and wringing us dry really and uh, mm. like just a, a gift of a of a project that yeah. I feel very proud of. Well, we will come back to it, but an awful yeah. lot has happened in the intervening years since that first conversation that we did, yeah. and I'm sure you've had similar moments like you described there with Tom and that cast of the the last we spoke you showed me a, a screen grab of you as PJ Mara. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I, I couldn't believe I couldn't give it over the costume, first of all, and how you <laughs> how you changed for that. Over those years, though, w what project stands out? What's the one that really challenged you, first of all, and maybe gave you that similar feeling that you had with Tom? Like, <laughs> To say it's a one-man show slightly defeats the answer. I was only working with other people, so I was only working with myself. <laughs> well, and Marco Rowe when we did um, Howie the Rookie, yeah. And it was, it was. There was a weird. We did it in twenty. Actually, just a few months after we spoke, I was the first time I did it in Dublin. Yeah. And I and I 
I did it, we did it in Dublin, we did it around Ireland, and then we went to the Edinburgh Festival for four weeks. And then in 2014, I had this like astonishing, astonishing like experience where I died in love-hate on the Sunday, <laughs> the last episode, and then we were opening in the Olympia Theatre on the Tuesday, and we like sold out the Olympia every night i was just like standing i was like standing on the stage every night of the olympia by myself with no set just in a t-shirt and jeans and just standing there with this amazing play of marco rose and and just kind of that was astonishing a week of just like it, it, because i'd been in this big massive kind of zeitgeisty tv show with love hate that had been so huge and i'd just been killed and then on a Tuesday, you're standing alone. On the- so there you have it. Just a little taste of my conversation with Tom Von Lawler. Rialto, as I said, is the movie that we're talking about. It is out on October 2nd. Make a point of seeing it. You won't regret it. It is one hell of a ride and one hell of a watch. Uh, my thanks to Nell Roddy for setting this up, who got in touch with me and is an old friend of the show who's helped us on many different occasions. Shouts to John Marr, our researcher on the show, to Brian Connolly for his production, to Tina and Mikey for making it all possible, Jigsaw.ie, our chosen charity partner. And come on over, come on over this week to patreon.com forward slash irishmanabroad sign up for premium you pay a fiver for less each month each day you throw in fivers left right and centre throw a fiver in here and try it there's no obligation you can cancel your subscription anytime you like but I guarantee if you sign up for Irishman premium for one month you won't look back bonus episodes hundreds of episodes in the archive and of course extra content every week including an extra half an hour here with Tom Von Lawler massive shout out to Tom Von Lawler and best of luck to him and the Gleeson brothers on their project in Belfast where I caught him for this chat more on that in the bonus content I will see you on Tuesday for another episode of an Irishman running abroad with Sonia O'Sullivan our running podcast until then take care of yourselves or I'll see you over there on Patreon